Even though this tech is about Tadasana, to me it's really about the subtle art of alignment. So in your handouts, I gave you a handout, and the first page is all about the subtle art of alignment and how it relates to Hatha Yoga. And then it moves into um, all about alignment, and it starts going on page two about Hatha Yoga and how every pose is Tadasana. Every pose is exactly what this tech is about today. And then it goes, we're going to go through our body in alignment and really kind of evaluate ourselves and how we get into alignment. I also, and we're not really going to touch upon this, but in the idea of Tadasana, we spend a lot of time talking about bandhas um, and the breath work and the diaphragm and how it affects our alignment. So I put that information in there for you. My homework question for you, um, if you would like to do it, is um, what does it feel like to be out of alignment in your practice? And what does it feel like to be out of alignment in your life? The last two pages we'll come to in a second. But the subtle art of alignment is really fascinating because to me, asanas don't have alignment. People have alignment. And when we practice, that's what we're really working on, is each person. So the idea of like alignment or tadasana is kind of a myth, because there is no right way to do a pose. And when we're doing yoga and we're practicing asana, what limb are we practicing? What limb of the eight limb path are we practicing when we practice asana? So we have yama, niyama, asana, uh, pranayama. Well, sorry, pranayama, asana, right? So we're working on the platform of the breath. So we're building up to a point where when we have the yamas and the yamas down pat, then we can start getting the form into play, but the form really sits on the um, platform of the breath. So everything that we're really doing is all about being interconnected. To do a good pose or to do a good tadasana is really about finding alignment with the eight-limb path. And that's a lot we're going to talk about before we start moving through the body. When we work from each student's particular skeleton, each Tadasana is going to look totally different because people are going to come into class and they're going to have completely different uh, backgrounds. Emotionally, physically, structurally, um, you know, how they live their life. It's all, they're all coming to the mat with a totally different personality, persona and experience. So we need to work from each person's skeleton because the goal of yoga practice is not to achieve some kind of ideal symmetry, as if the perfect pose awaits our mastery, but actually like a child, we need to spontaneously experiment. We need to kind of like play around organically, play with movement and find a way that works best for us. So the most important thing as a teacher we talk about is breath. And then we talk about and cue every pose from Tadasana, from modifications on up. But our ultimate goal is truly to see each person for who they are so that we're really finding the best way that works for them and not what we as teachers can do and not what the person next to them on the mat can do. Makes sense. Uh, the key to safely teaching asana is actually shifting the focus to svadhyaya. This is a quote from um, Leslie Kamenoff, who's a big structural alignment person, and he wrote your Yoga for Anatomy book, right? Um, but svadhyaya, what's svadhyaya? Svadhyaya is self-study, right? So it goes back to the thing that it's that one person practicing self-study on themselves. And that's why each Tadasana is going to look different. My right shoulder is higher than my left shoulder because I was in a car accident. So then in turn, I practice 
actually drawing the shoulder down so that I can find equanimity and alignment in Tadasana. But it's work for me, whereas someone else might have a high left shoulder or someone's shoulders might be totally equal and they've had no injuries. And that's the kind of subtleties we start looking for in the practice, that we shift the focus to self-study versus a one-size-fits-all, you know? Um, we have to practice the art of ahimsa for ourselves and for others on the mat. And we want to um, make sure that the merits of everything that we do, the benefits of the practice, are for all beings. Our yoga practice itself improves the quality of life because it joins and unites us. So it has a, a psychological and spiritual benefits because it's working our body, our brain, and our heart, right? So Tadasana isn't just about like, oh, I'm going to stand up straight and all my poses are going to be from this militant structure, right, where I'm very linear. It's actually not that at all. It's on a subtle level where we're working into our central nervous system, the nadis, the chakras, the energetic points. So Tadasana is more about the internal workings than if you look perfect from the outside. How about that? For a big mind trip, right? Uh, we're working with that body, brain, and heart, and neurobi neurobiologically, we're relaxing as we strengthen our body and mind. So our yoga practice changes the firing patterns of the nerves and chemical makeup of the body's fluids and the body, uh, the blood gases that activates a relaxation response in our systems. So as we're going to talk today about structural alignment, um, we're also going to talk about how the practice is so internal because it gives you mindfulness, where you're in touch with the present moment, where you're not judgy because you're in alignment with your life, you don't need to judge other people. Or if you still your mind on the mat with that pure awareness, then that mindfulness practice on the mat of your Tadasana then can work into your life off the mat. Or if you say, like, uh, practice yoga for self-care, right? So you did a breathing practice this morning. Or some of you were, like, gar planning to garden or, like, doing personal things and just really enjoying the moment. That's self-care, where you let go and you allow yourself to be present. That's Tadasana. So I want you, as we start going through this, to really find the resiliency that when you find Tadasana, you stick to your goals and you let go of like discomfort, but you create a really strong foundation. To me, people are coming to the mat for a workout, but truly what's happening and what you see as a teacher and an educator is the more subtle stuff. The way they start kind of diving deeper into their life, the more that they find insight into their, themselves the way that they interact with others and have a sense of purpose and a community. Alignment on the mat, you start creating a community off the mat. Do you notice that? Right? So all of a sudden, this whole idea of Tadasana where you think like, oh, it's just structure. Okay, I'm going to talk about the body. Um, but actually, it's how it joins and unites us and body, brain, and heart. And then that's when they say, like, you know, tune into your body, close mm -hmm. your eyes, and make an intention, mm -hmm. just is more clear. Mm -hmm. That's great, Nico. And how someone says to the body of today, yeah. that's huge too, because we're not the same person we were yesterday, and we're not the same person we're going to be tomorrow. So what are you in the here and now? It's very insightful. So that's Svadhyaya, that self-study is really what we're doing as we find alignment and relax. And then that awareness allows you to kind of, in turn, have a whole other domino effect of mental health benefits. So the last two pages of your handout, I gave you physical benefits, physiological benefits, and spiritual benefits. So Tadasana then becomes really about self-knowledge, stimulating the energy centers of the body, 
how to manifest positive experiences in your life, creating a deeper connection or a sense of purpose. People are coming to the mat, uh, the four corners of the mat, because they think like, oh, I saw my friend and they have really nice yoga butt. Or, oh, I saw my friend and they have really strong yoga arms, right? And that's, I mean, you'll hear like funny things. Or someone will say like, I'm not flexible and my friend runs marathons and they've been doing this and they're getting better times. So there's like a goal or an agenda, right? But, and when they come to the mat, they don't really realize how they're looking for a purpose. They're looking for something to ground them and drop into awareness. And that is what starts to happen on a subtle level through the neurological pathways, through the amazing benefits of the breath, all because they found Tadasana. So, on the front page, it says that, um, I have a little quotes here about, have you heard these sayings? Don't look for happiness, create it. Life is tough, but so are you. Um, or happiness is not a matter of intensity, but of balance, order, rhythm, and harmony. And really, because our bodies are such amazing machines powered by the breath, we have this amazing ability to harness that pure potentiality when we are aligned in our spine. Okay, so everybody freeze and look at how we're sitting. Right? So my head's further forward, which means I'm totally thinking versus being like really coming from that Shakti, the root chakra, and that base energy all the way up. And I'm kind of leaning into it. Some of you have like, you know, like a little tilt in your torso. Some of you are laying down. But it's interesting because that in turn, that spinal connection affects the superhighway to our brain. So when one is in alignment, and we practice Tadasana in every pose that we do, then all of a sudden we're open to um, sending energy and oxygen to your brain. And did you know that 20% of our breath goes, the oxygen goes to our brain? So if we practice Ujjayi Pranayama, that victorious breath, and we open up the conduit and really kind of find that deep structure and that space for the inhales of the, and the exhales, the pistons of our incredible human machine can be brighter and stronger and more harmonious and in tune. And then, because we're a fine-tuned engine, we won't crash and burn. Sounds really nice, doesn't it? And then everybody went like this. Even me? <laughs> um, Alignment helps us to connect, to breathe, to focus, to relax. It gives us a grounded sensation and offers us consistency and is support. And alignment is truly the key to balance. And it says on your first page of your sheet that alignment is, um, comes from that eight-limb path. And in the Yoga Sutras, it really talks a lot about alignment without saying alignment in the Shtira Sukha Asanam principle, where you're using effortless effort. Right? Where you're using the least amount of effort to create a maximum amount of result on the mat, and you're balancing and strengthening your weaknesses. So someone might come to the mat and be like, oh my god, I'm like, can't sit up straight, and I have this thing going on. But then all of a sudden, over time, they can sit up straight. That thing that was going on was able to kind of relax. That thing that was going on that then affected their mindset starts to dissipate and go away, and it starts to be kind of changed into a more positive, gratitude-focused kind of view and outlook. Alignment gives us insight into our inner workings because it offers focus and clarity, but then also when you start thinking about Tadasana and alignment, it's also drishti. What is drishti? Gaze, sight, right? So when you're teaching and you're in like a warrior two, you're saying to like gaze over the right finger or gaze over the left finger or gaze down the tip of your nose. Like in downward facing dog, gaze towards your navel. That gaze is also to referred to as tadasana. That's fascinating because 
when you have this aligned in extension, you're allowing prana to go through your body and it's unforced awareness when we're moving towards page two, where you have this idea of pure seeing. And when you use your drishti as tadasana, you see the world clearly. So people who practice meditation, they're already doing tadasana. They're already focusing on the breath. They're already allowing themselves to um, practice tadasana without ever practicing yoga. A drishti can also be thought of in a broader context of having the proper view or perspective of one's life. And that's the same thing where you kind of talk about, um, you know, having a positive attitude or having a purpose or being able to give thanks. Um, it's the same thing, your alignment on the mat in Tadasana allows you to almost be your own life coach or health coach or be as famous as Deepak Chopra, Oprah, and um, um, Brene Brown. Do you all know Brene Brown? She, she writes and does really good TED Talks about living wholeheartedly. I highly recommend listening to them. They're very interesting. But the psychology that these three people, Chopra, Oprah, and Brown use, are very similar and come from meditation and yogic principles. I mean, basically, Deepak Chopra's whole business is based upon the, every yoga-like myth he grew up with, right? I mean, obviously, he became a doctor, too, so that really helps, but <laughs> it gives him some cachet and credibility. But uh, it, that, that focus and alignment comes from everything we learn about in the yoga practice. He just found a really good way to communicate it to Americans so that he could capitalize on his uh, and monetize his upbringing. Brene, B, it's a woman. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ancient yogis discovered that where our gaze is directed, our attention naturally follows, and that the quality of gazing is directly related to the quality of our mental thoughts. So that in turn, when we give someone tadasana, when we give someone alignment, we're actually giving them a cure for suffering. Because our single pointed focus is the goal of our yoga practice, concentration and attention. Just by sitting straight, which they teach the military, you know, to stand in alignment and pay attention and all of that stuff. But part of that is so that they have the concentration and the attention and can focus on the details so that they're really like the fine-tuned engine. And it comes from yoga. When you are allowed to integrate the right and left brain through movement practices like yoga, um, that is another way too to create integration. So our yoga practice on that neurological level is so important for Tadasana. When we come to the idea of Hatha Yoga and how alignment is related to Tadasana, Ha and Ta is what? Ha, it's outside right now. Yeah, and Ta, there's a little sliver in it uh, in the sky at night, moon, right? And so it's the balance of the Ha and the Ta. So the word Tadasana is the same thing as when you see a magician Pull a rabbit out of a hat. What does he say? Or she? Or it? Yes, tada. Right, that's tadasana. Literally, tada, I am here. Sanskrit translation. So we are magicians, we are alchemists. And as yoga practitioners, we also study the Ayurvedic medicines sometimes if you're into it, but they used to go hand in hand where like someone like Patanjali um, was a scholar, uh, Ayurvedic practitioner, a writer, you know, it's like a Renaissance person. And there's the same thing with Tada, is that you are the alchemy of the practice. Tada, look at what I can pull out of my bumholio when I get my head out of my tush, right? Look at what can happen when I come into alignment. I'm present. I'm accounted for, I'm able to have a purpose, I can do really cool things just by being structurally aligned. And what's really cool and what we talk about a lot with students 
is what do you stand for, right? So if you're really passive in your stance or you're kind of schlumping or you're hanging out and talking to your friends and you're like this, right, as you're standing, then truly you're not really kind of like open and uh, have that vitality and that radiance, but you're kind of closed off and shut down. And what you're really trying to do is stand in your truth. And as a yogi, that's one of the things we really focus on. We're like pure of heart revolutionary spirits. You know, we go out there and we really try and be who we are. And that takes a lots of guts and lots of energy because the world sometimes is a really tough place and it sometimes doesn't let us be that individual, right? So you're kind of like a fish, fishing up, swimming upstream. But Tadasana helps you stay grounded in your truth. And then in turn, what I love about it is, and I say this a lot in text, is that your hands are your feet and your feet are your hands. So it comes from the breath, Tadasana. And it becomes resiliency training where you're uh, able to flip perspectives and you're able to really find yourself kind of um, not getting caught up in the flow of what everything else is happening, but really you can flip perspectives and not be judgmental, right? Because you're focused and centered in your truth. So um, for yogis, when we talk about Tadasana, what happens when I pull an elastic band too far? Right, it breaks, okay? What happens if I pull this elastic band, but then I don't pull it like super far? It's okay, right? And if I don't pull it at all, it becomes, if it was just a real rubber band, it grows a bit, right? That's a great example of Shtira Sukha Asanam. You don't want to be broken or too tight or too much striving, and you don't want to be passive or yielding so much so that you roll over and die. But you want to kind of find that middle ground, that middle path. And yogis for Tadasana, we call it containment. We call it drawing to midline because everything's drawing to the center. Another way um, of thinking of it is I went to school for art because my background is I'm an industrial designer, so I develop products. But we always, for perspective drawing, it's like a ray of light, right? So you're always like, extending out from a specific point. And that's the same thing with Tadasana. We're extending out from the ray of light that's in your belly, the fire. And we're kind of opening up. What is asanam? Asanam, it's another way of saying asana. So this, it, it, it's, um, there's like, some people say shanti 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 hi, right? It's like that extra kind of way of ending it. So it's like putting a period on a sentence. Shtira Sukha Asana. So that is the exact text that would have come out of the Yoga Sutras. That would be the one of the aphorisms to have you to memorize. Yeah. When in Tadasana, the benefits from yoga and breathing practices really make it so immeasurable. Your spinal column, on a subtle level, is you're opening up the lines of communication. So then you I put in words there like chakras and nadis, and they become liberated through proper breathing and movement techniques. So one of the ultimate goals of what we're doing is not standing at attention, right, and like trying to hold your muscles so strong that you're just like really rigid, but it's to create fluidity because we are light and we want that light to move through so that we can get into higher states of consciousness. Am I freaking anybody out? No, it's making sense? Okay. Uh, there are seven of those major um, invisible centers or zones that offer spiritual and physical energy, and they're from the base of the spine to the skull. And yoga practitioners that believe that by balancing these energies, we can restore harmony in our lives. So another reason we do Tadasana is to find harmony. Remember that 
um, when done properly, hatha yoga can release disease from the body. But in the sutras or in the eight limb path, we were only doing yoga or the physical movements because that was the gross practice to get to the internal, to be able to be good meditators so that we could create really interesting things. The only real reason for the physical is not to have a workout, but the reason for the physical of Tadasana was to align the subtle energies because yogis believed in the power and the alchemy of the practice. <clears throat> and falling awake is a really interesting thing for people. And when you as a teacher see people falling awake or really finding the practice isn't because I can take a really cool picture or I like look really good in this outfit and they get behind, beyond the outfit and they get into like, oh my God, something, something just happened because you open up into those six state of awareness versus the five senses and you have this sixth sense and insight that happens. That's cool. That's Tadasana. In turn, when you are get everything in alignment, then all of a sudden you become healthier, right? So then the next page starts talking about the systems in the body and how you're affecting your endocrine system and because it starts doing its job, all your lymphatic systems start working well. That rash that you had, that cold that you always got in the winter, you, didn't, you don't get it anymore when you're in Tadasana. It's pretty amazing what happens. And especially for adults, we're constantly sometimes waking up in a state of fight or flight where our animal brain takes over because cortisol production. But what you really want to do when you come into Tadasana is it stops compressing the L4, L5. So your lower lumbar region has space to breathe. And that's pretty much, if you take your index finger to your belly button, and you take three fingers below the index finger from the belly button, and now take the finger out of the belly button and down below the three fingers, okay? This is kind of where those ganglion nerves are at the ending of the spinal column. And this is where Tadasana emanates. So it's very close to your L4, L5. So if you're pinching those nerves and you're not in alignment, all of a sudden, nothing can flow and there's a block in the chain. There's no um, engagement, there's no interconnectedness between your head and your heart. There's no connection down here. And a lot of people who are really stressed out are living from a state of anxiety and worry, which our culture is perpetuating because of everything that's happening in the world, but also the fact that we're overconditioned and overtaxed and running about. We're all just trying to live from survival, and we're not able to find the connection in the spine. We're not able to live from Tadasana and alignment. Then we start thinking about when we're going into the idea of um, moving into the body, I started giving you some space to uh, go through and kind of really figure out how to find your alignment. We did one just now by finding the little belly button space, but we can start to do these different exercises to have the weight of the world roll off our shoulders, um, whether we stand or sit. Yeah. Hi, um, I just wanted to extrapolate on the L4, L5 from the index. You kind of went kind of fast oh. um, about how it gets pinched um, by not having your spine straight. Sorry, I was just... So if you're stressed out, a lot of people don't keep their pelvic bowl aligned. They go lax because they're working from a state of fight or flight. And that fight or flight gets perpetuated or affected because it's pinching the L4, L5, which in turn, our kidneys don't function properly because our kidneys are back here. Hmm? I, said, I said a lot of people have a, like the low, the lumbar region, like a lot of low back pain. Yes. The, the L4, L5, yes. low back pain. Yes. 
And then that low back pain, if we work on yoga and we work on ways to find more resiliency within that area, then we're able to kind of not be out of whack, which is in that same kind of region. It stops us from being stressed out because we're creating more movement and more freedom and more liberation through that region, which in turn opens up the central nervous system. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people come in, but they come in and they keep coming in because they are always in pain and they never fix. Correct. I don't like saying that word fix problem, but they never, you know, work, actually work on the root issue. It's just Correct. like I'm going to keep maintaining the, you know, whatever they do. Correct. It's kind of um, sad sometimes because you want to get people. Sometimes when I was going over to my clinic um, at school, I just finished but. Um, I gave some people who were open to it some homework assignments, you know, and I, but I wanted to make it so it's something that they could, you know, try accessible. To yeah. What they wanted to do, mm-hmm. and you know, so, but most people, there's no way Mm-mm. they would have done anything, and it's like, how can you really work on their stuff if they're not willing to because they want to? Right. Even, even though they want you to work on it, but they don't. They just want what they think they want. Right. I understand what you're saying. So they're coming to you almost as if you're an aspirin and you're giving them a vitamin. I don't like being an aspirin. Right. So, but but it's kind of like an alcoholic. You can't tell them to do something, right? They have to want to do it. But the interesting thing is that if you, when, when you become a teacher and you have people coming to your class, they become a captive audience. So you already have people who want to work on it and want to change. Like take, for example, I had two women who just started with me um, when this studio opened here because they got a free pass. And they're now in a training next door because they found that they started feeling better with yoga because they kept coming to class. Not because of me, but because they internally started feeling better and were able to shift perspectives. And I think you make a really good point is that People are coming maybe to get a massage, but then they don't want to do the hard work. A lot of people don't want to do the hard work. The good thing about being a teacher is that they're already coming to the mat because they're like interested, and they'll stay on the mat if we can communicate and create an engaging environment for them to feel the um, beautiful changes that start happening within them without saying, like, this is what's happening. You gotta kind of like, uh, it's you gotta kind of like tell them they're taking an aspirin, but it's really you're giving them a vitamin. They're getting a prescription almost for happiness. They're getting a prescription for ease. They're getting a prescription for a purpose. They're getting a prescription for standing in their truth. They're getting a prescription for compassion. And so, yeah. A lot of people are running around stressed out with compressions in their L4 and L5, and they're just stuck in this perpetual state of stress. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't realize that, mm-hmm. and that's the power too, is the lack of education. Mm-hmm. Like, I realize that I have, that I carry stress in my little back, or I carry stress in my shoulders, but mm-hmm. what can I do to relieve that and get into like, Because even if you have the, the yearning, mm-hmm. if you don't know what to do, mm-hmm. so I think there's a lot of power in education. Mm-hmm. Education is huge, yeah. And then somehow to get people enrolled in it that's easy and accessible because if it becomes hard or difficult or they feel like you know they don't want to do the homework or it's work, they'll stop doing it. You know, how many times have you started a program and then like stopped it? There's a theory behind like why 21 day things work or 30 day things work and how it gets ingrained in your body. There's a reason that AA works. You know, so yeah, that's a great point also. When I go to meetings and I'm not a recovering addict, mm-hmm. I always want to, I don't want to shove them in people's faces like yoga and how powerful and healing it is. But then at the same time, it's kind of all I have to talk about. Mm-hmm. And so I just keep bringing it up to people and it's cool because what actually seems like they're more interested in 
I think that'd be awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah, good for you. What a beautiful like creation of community too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. When any more interesting thing? We I, I like talk I like talking about this more than like having the tech. But when you go to the sheet where it's talking about examples to find alignment. Um, one really simple way to see about alignment is to um, find if people are breathing properly. So there's a four-part breathing technique that I like to do um, when we're working on more like breathing exercises. And I put you put your um, you can put a ball behind your student's back and then just have them take ten deep breaths and try and mush the ball. And that's really interesting because a lot of people don't breathe into their low back. Another thing you can think about too is like for women we wear jog bras, but you could have your students put a strap, a yoga strap right here, and try and breathe and make the strap tight. Mm -hmm. Because most people only breathe maybe the front of their body and they don't see the back of their body or the sides of their body. And then all of a sudden, you're creating a breath that's starting to open up the conduit and it's starting to get you into Tadasana. Another thing you can think about is um, driving the bus is a yoga therapeutic thing where you breathe into the twist. I'm not gonna have us do that right now. But what might be really interesting is um, to kind of do a four-part breath so that you feel what it feels like. The first thing you do is you take the hand to the low back. So you are gonna pretend you're two people. So your friend would hold their hands to your low back and you would see if you breathe into your low back and you would do that for a while. Then you would move your hands up to the middle of your chest and see if you're breathing like near like your shoulder blades, if your shoulders are going up and down or if they're going out and open like you're hugging your favorite person and then you do like kind of like a little bit of the um not on the boob but like in front of the um chest area like at your pecs and your collarbones and then you do one hand for the fourth part one hand to the front and one hand to the back so it moves through the four parts and that, in turn, is really interesting because you can help a person find alignment if they're not breathing into certain parts of their bodies. And you'll notice most people, just to your point of the compression when they come for a massage, most people only breathe like right here, right? So if we gave them the opportunity to really realize, hey, here's a tool to breathe into your back. With little kids, I have them lay on their back and I have them blow into a balloon and try and get their back to touch the ground as they blow in and up, up in the balloon. Instead of just thinking of it from like your tummy, but like can you get your back to touch the ground? That's a fun little technique. Um, when we work with Tadasana um, for number two, a really interesting thing is that you really have to think about your balance is a dialogue and not a monologue. <laughs> and most people are just in this one frame and they have a myopic viewpoint, very different than a single pointed viewpoint that you get with yoga where you're really honed in, but myopic would be like narrow-minded almost. So what happens is that if we don't have this dialogue within our body, we aren't able to find Tadasana. Um, my anger use teacher used to have us take a yardstick with a, a strap and so we would take the strap and we would put the yardstick here like from the state fair and you put the strap here and you try to have that really good alignment and try and get everything to touch the yardstick that's pretty rigid and pretty intense but you can feel that if we come and stand up and just find the wall and um and so 
So find a wall. And with your, you're going to have to create space for the back of your head, your shoulders, obviously. And then everybody has a dumper. My, my, I used to have a boyfriend called a butt, a poopy dumper. So yogis, we have, we have, there's lots of names for your ass. So your butt, you know, you got to allocate space. But take one hand into a fist. And can you put your whole hand back Okay, can you? Yeah. So if you can put your whole hand back there, it means that you might be dumping energy and creating a compression in your lower lumbar. And a lot of people are dumping water out of their pelvic bowl. If you think about the bottom, where your king, um, where your pubic bone and tailbone are, and your hips, and that little perineum muscle, where it's almost some people call it the diamond path or the diamond way. You want to keep all of that structurally in alignment. So ultimately, you're trying to get the back of your head, your shoulders, your um, kind of like uh, from the occipital lobe to your heels touching. So you can do a little goal pulse arms just to broaden your shoulders a little bit, feel what it feels like. So, but you want that natural curve. You want a natural curve. Right. But no, no. But most people are so over-exaggerated that a lot of times I'll cue, feel what it feels like to engage, and then all of a sudden people can feel their diaphragm, right? Because there's less space back here, and they're not popping out their rib cage. And now, and now, so where are you feeling your breath from when you do that? Farther down. Right, farther down. So most people, their answer is core. But it's diaphragm, as we know, as yogis. So it's a little bit of a trick, maybe an over-exaggeration, because we're not making a candy cane with our tailbone, right? You're totally right. <laughs> but we want to have people start feeling like, oh, oh, you know, like, I feel it. And so can I, can I ask you a question about breath? Because yeah. I, I do teach Pilates, yeah. um, and I do teach yoga, and they're different, right? Mm -hmm. Totally. The, in, in yoga, you have the belly breath, right? So the expanse of breath. And in Pilates, you, you don't have the expanse right. of breath. You do have the back breath and the lateral back breath. Right. But it sounds like you're almost applying that here as well, saying you should be more contained and be thinking about filling space right. instead of letting it all go, right? Okay, so, like, there are teachers here who have a very, um, different perspective on breath. My ideas come from more of an Ashtanga lineage, where it's more about containment and creating that. Um, uh, and this is why I put bandhas in there, because your thread, remember that spot we found right here? Three fingers below the belly button? OK, so if you, every inhale, you're drawing a little line through there, pulling it up your spine. So I'm actually pulling in, right, and up. And then when I exhale, I'm pulling, but still pushing back. So there's a lot more containment, even though it's still inhale and exhale, it's, I'm just not making my belly do that, like, more, uh, yeah, the, um, I call it the Ganesh belly, where he ate too much lassos, he ate too much sugars, the lasso candies, so yes. I'm not doing the little candy cane kind of like uh, tilt uh, in like the Pilates that I've seen, but yes, I am trying to find that it's the diaphragm working, right. not just the flesh. Right. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Good question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's no right way. It's what you're experiencing and what feels the best. Right. It's it's really just a way to kind of make the connection. Right. To find the diaphragm, to find the containment. And to me, if it's all about the bandhas, your mula bandha at the base and the uddiyana bandha are like um, hot and top. There's a positive and there's a negative charge, and they're like a battery, and that's what's keeping us going. So when you get too loosey-goosey, you're not finding that containment, that energy, that drawing to midline, and the structure. Just my opinion. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, I mean, while I don't 
live every waking moment being in that void, but it sure feels great <laughs> when you when you got it. Right. And that's part of what my teaching is. You know, just find it so that you know what it feels like so that you can keep seeking it. And the more you seek it, the more you're gonna find it, the more you find it, the more you're gonna hang on to it. It's just right. Like right. So then that muscle memory, because what you're really doing is strengthening all the muscles around it. So now your QLs are stronger, right? All the muscles that support your spine are keeping you more open. Your shoulders are broader because your pecs and your um, clavicles haven't kind of, and your shoulders haven't kind of collapsed. But because you've been doing it that way, it becomes a conditioned response. It's awesome. In a perfect world, obviously, we all have space in our neck and our mid-back, right? But your shoulders might be drooping in real life. If I were to customize spine bands, and then So when you're breathing, you want to feel, and this is the same thing with Chuck in, in, um, in, in uh, plank pose. Most people, when they come into plank, they go like that. I don't know if you can see my shoulders, right? But if I am trying to hug my favorite person in plank, and I'm breathing, it looks more like that. Do you see that? Mm -hmm. It's like an openness, which in turn, I should be able to, if I go like this, have that openness. And my back should be touching, my spine should be touching the wall. It just takes time. So, well, uh, kind of on topic, mm -hmm. what about when people can't have their spine perfect? Perfect because of different scoliotic curves and right. you know, off the disc, like, for right. example, my L4 L5 is off. Like, it's okay. kind of off right. on there, same as in my um, cervical vertebrae right there, mm -hmm. off the spine. Mm -hmm. um, and, but for me, it's not that big deal. But for a lot of people I see, um, and if their scoliotic curves make it so they can't, they, they sit up straight, and they, and they can do some things depending on the scoliosis, mm -hmm. and they can't mm -hmm. do some things even though it would be beneficial, but there's also like the contraindications, mm -hmm. of course. So that's great. That goes right into what we're going to talk about now, where it's it, because it's a dialogue and not a monologue, if you can stand on your mat if you want to. We're not going to use the wall. That was just one example of Tadasana. Another example of Tadasana is just hula moving, right? Or thinking of a ball bearing right here. You're not going to be, no one's perfect, right? There's nothing as perfect, right? We're just trying to find our skeleton, and this is all spadhyaya, this is all self-study. But you might have, because of different issues, the pelvic tilt where you're dumping all your energy out of your pelvic bowl. Or you might have something that's a little bit uneven. Or you might have something that is, whether it's out of whack or you're just constipated mentally and physically, right? So then what happens is through the practice of yoga, you're creating subtle changes within the body. So you can teach your students about the pelvic bowl via hula hooping, right? Um, and, you know, have them think about like a hula hoop at the base of your pelvis is a ball bearing. There's so many different kinds of things, but Going back to that diamond um, way, or the idea, I think in Pilates they talk about an elevator, like lift the elevator, right? Okay, so the idea is that um, this is your queen, this is your king. These are the servants. They have to create a kingdom, so they have to meet someplace here and someplace there, which makes me think of rays of light or drawing and perspective. Then I can't... Um, Stand like this, because my king and my queen are digging it up. And I have my pelvis tilted forward. I can't stand like this because then I'm just like over exaggerated or making it too intense. But I have to find that middle path where I'm creating the elevator lift or that diamond connection. Where even though it might be hard and my body isn't perfect and I might have scoliosis or I might have something out of whack or I might be coming in that because I have injury, through the movements and through the practice, Tadasana can be attained and maintained for that specific body of the moment. Right? You know, it just 
like it becomes this crazy thing. So the other way to really, interestingly enough, um, find um, your tadasana like axles on a car. They have to be, I like to think of four points of contact, I've heard of three, but the ball mounts of your feet and your heels, so two and two, right? And you could go side to side, you could go front to back, but you still have a grounded base, right? And then with your tada, with your tadasana, then you start thinking about how to fan out your toes. So if your hands are your feet and your feet are your hands, we're kind of like monkeys, you know, we're very close to the ape family. If you can spread your fingers wide, you can spread your toes wide. So take and plant just your big toes down and lift the rest of the toes up. And spread out from there. That helps your tadasana without gripping your toes, but that helps your tadasana. Because then all of a sudden you're seeing your feet and your practice from a different perspective. So when we think about more advanced practices, you don't even need to set your toes down because you have that uplift in the arches of your feet and you don't need to grip through your toes. A lot of students grip through their toes. Think about the energy that's in your feet because our hands and our feet, for those of you who took the hand set, it's like, we have all those nadis and those energy points in our hands and our feet. <coughs> so those 72,000 meridian lines start from the bottom. If someone's gripping in their feet or standing in an odd way and not aligned, already they're not in Tadasana. Then we take and bring, um, think about our knees. And we want to think that our knees have a little resiliency and they're not locked out or hypermobile where you're pushing back. So then what happens is you almost have to cue for Tadasana that you're like pulling up really tight pants. Mm -hmm. yeah. And your bones are hugging your muscles and then your muscles are hugging your bones. But you have to have a little micro bend in the knees which engages the uplift. And a lot of people just lock out their legs and become passive in their muscles. So that's why I like this block. It aligns your king and queen in your hips, and it um, allows you to think about engaging the quadricep muscles and the thigh biceps. So you've got skyscraper and colonial. You put it in there, colonial, and squeeze. And just by doing that, what do you feel? Other than a block in between my legs. A nice connection. <coughs> a connection. Yeah. I think you're allowing like, the breath to lengthen as opposed to, because I am a chronic hyperextender. Mm -hmm. And I think because I, I was trying to use my bones mm -hmm. to lengthen as opposed to my breath. Cool. Mm -hmm. It's great.
broadens everything, and it externally rotates, right? So, what if I take my palms, and um, usually our palms face forward, which is, helps bring the shoulders into our back pockets, right? In Tadasana. But what if I take my palms and I say, we're going to do something called penguin pose. Everybody take your hands and push back. What do you feel? The same broadening. The same broadening. Right? And then all of a sudden your traps and your delts start to activate the muscles that support your spine, your um, uh, levator scaps. Everything just starts to pull back and open. So you can also have people do that to feel how important it is to engage. Our palms face forward, and then we start thinking about our eyes. Right? So we have our drishti. And a lot of times, the gaze just goes down the tip of the nose, about four feet down the front. <coughs> and this is especially important when you start thinking about the vagus nerve, and you start thinking about arching back into like a back bend. Because in a back bend, you're still in Tadasana. In an up dog, you're still in Tadasana. And the first thing that people do when they do a back bend is, and I'm trying to go slow so I don't hurt myself, they go like this. What's happening here? Right? So all of a sudden there's a C5, C6 compression. And so we have, what time do we go to breakfast at? As yogis? <laughs> Seven. Will be an aspiration. <laughs> <laughs> what do we go to, what time do we go to lunch at? Twelve. What time do we go to dinner at? Five. Right, because we have to get to bed early so that we can practice early <laughs> in the morning because the most peak times for Kundalini energy is 3.30 in the morning until 5.30. <laughs> right? And then that's why we have breakfast at 7. But you have seven cervical spine, you have 12 uh, thoracic, and by the time we get to a certain age, we have five of our lower lumbar. And we're working on all of those when we're finding Tadasana. So in turn, <coughs> excuse me, uh, we really want to find this kind of space and ease. And if we look back, we have to arch back from the spine. So you want to telescope the spine and you want to start to arch back and go back still being in Tadasana. So you're looking down the tip of the nose and you keep your forehead relaxed. So if I was in a gentle cobra, I'm still in Tadasana, where would my gaze be? Effort of Shtira Sukha Asana. 
so that everything kind of keeps you really open and aware. So what I would love for you to do is to cue your friend in um, uh, Tadasana. And there's an odd number, so I will be someone's friend. But how was it to adjust your friends and kind of cue them just with your words and not using your hands? <coughs> that. So after kind of going through the idea of alignment and then being able to take and do these hands-on adjustments, how did it feel to help to structurally align someone? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Easy, right? Simple cues, your most powerful thing is going to be your voice. A lot of classes I don't even touch because you don't really um, need to. And you might have such a big group of individuals that um, you have to just cue with your words. Uh, the most important thing as we focus kind of today together is that asanas don't have alignment, people have alignment. And when we come to the mat to find alignment, it's really about the subtleties of the practice. And we're finding the ha and ta in everything, right? So just like Leslie Kamenoff stated, in order for the merits of the practice to benefit all beings, in order for yoga, right, that union, that joining, to really be yoga, you have to do, use the key to safely teaching by shifting the focus into self-study. As a teacher, part of your drishti that you're teaching the students 
is to focus on their inner self versus what's happening with the neighbor next to them, right? Versus what's happening before they came to the mat or after they came to the mat. We're really focusing on finding alignment so that we can sit on the platform of the breath and find resiliency and mindfulness and self-care and for our body and our brain and our heart to almost find a little bit of purpose, right? And ease so that we can live a harmonious life. Mm -hmm. You all are going to be really awesome teachers. Make sure you teach from experience. So keep watching bodies, touching bodies um, appropriately. <laughs> and uh, really have fun on this journey of yoga. Mm -hmm. Have a wonderful afternoon. Thanks for being here. Namaste. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. Okay.